HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Winsun, a Taiwanese-American restaurant located in East Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Learn more at winsunbrooklyn.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. Today, dreams really do come true. On today's episode of the food scene, baker turned candy maker Jamie Curl knew that candy is magic, which is the title of her current cookbook. Since the day she broke the tedium of cookies and cakes by making a batch of Oregon sea salt caramels, that's a day when Quinn Candy was born. Many lollipops, marshmallows, and gummy candies later, Curl spreads the doctrine of good ingredients, pure granulated cane sugar, GMO-free glucose, non-powdered dairy products, preferring instead fresh cream and butter, and all-natural extracts and coloring derived from fruits and vegetables. That's how you craft core flavors like strawberries with lemon, cherry with almonds, roasted peaches with ginger, and build bases like popcorn, cream, coffee syrup, innovating sweets like donut magic dust so go suck on a sour apple or a peanut noir lollipop chew on some honey and hazelnut caramels or savor a smoked cola gumdrop because candy isn't just for kids anymore thank you so much jamie for being on it's my pleasure thank you for having me well let's go back to your childhood and talk about those candies what what were your sweet tooth obsessions any candy any? Yes. Under the sun? Yes. I had candy that, and sweet things that sort of were assigned uh, reasons, sort of road trip candy. We traveled a lot by car when I was a kid, and there were certain things I liked to eat, jawbreakers and things like that, that I loved to eat in the car. And then there were things that I wanted to have, make sure, you know, showed up in my Easter basket, you know, chocolate for sure, that kind of things. And some of my best memories as a kid have to do with the sweets that I got to eat and you know, one of the best things ever about Easter was that it was sort of a free-for-all. My mother would allow my sister and I to take our Easter baskets and sit down in front of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and eat everything we wanted in the basket while watching the movie. And it was, you know, 
definite Augustus Gloop situation. You know, <laughs> Augustus Sweetheart, save yeah. some room for later. See, sometimes it, I feel like parents do that so their children get sick and then never want candy never. again. But that, that rarely works. It doesn't. It never. That in, would never work for me ever. I do not have any sort of. Uh, I can't tell if anything. I, when people, you know, it's too rich or it's too sweet or it's what I just am like, how? What? I don't even understand. I could eat all of it all the time, you know. And so I joke a lot that my food groups. Well, I actually, this is a little bit sad, but I'll get to the end of the day a lot, and I think back what I ate. And a lot of times, everything that I ate starts with a C. So it would be candy, cream, which it could be ice cream, sour cream, cream cheese, or heavy cream. Candy, yeah, cream chips, and then sometimes kale, which isn't a C, but I will end the day when I know that I've had too much, and I'm like, I probably should correct this with some kale. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> assuming you don't make candied kale. No. Yeah. Not yet. Someday. Maybe, yes. But, you know, being a child, taking all yeah. these road trips, um, I always I always had this idea that there were national and regional candies. And I didn't realize this until I actually started traveling as a, a you know, teenager and, and beyond. Um, were there specific areas in the country or candy stores or, you know, candies you can only get in a specific spot that kind of made you want to go there? I... You know, this is kind of gross to admit, but what I loved uh, about road trips was going to the Cracker Barrel. Uh, I grew up in Ohio and took a lot of road trips between Ohio and to various places in the South. And there were that was when Cracker Barrel was kind of Southern. And they have that weird store at the end that you have to walk through in order to get out. And it was, you know, like all these things, Abba Zabba and things that I had never seen before. Genius move, by the way, having that store where it was. Right. It's really, especially when you have kids in tow, it was, you know, really amazing. And then also as a kid, I spent a lot of time in North Carolina and we would go to these fish camps where it's like a restaurant that is, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on and why it's called a fish camp, but same sort of thing. When you would leave, it was sort of this giant candy store. And I just thought as a kid, like, this is like paradise. I want to live or do this all the time, <laughs> have this candy store at my fingertips. So I... I honestly don't have any candy that I have eaten and wished I didn't eat it, even as a kid. I just love to know what things are and what they're made of and how they taste and things like that. And it's always been, it's always been that way for me. Not even circus peanuts. I, I'd eat it. <laughs> I would eat it just to be able to tell you what was happening in it or figure out how they did it. It's not quite a marshmallow, but like what is happening, that kind of thing. And I'd like to... I guess it's maybe part of its reverse engineering to try to figure out if I were to do this myself... How could I do it better, obviously, but what exactly is happening and how did they do it? Because we don't make any of our candy with machines. We do it all by hand. So I think that when I taste things like that, my first thing is, how would you do this with your hands? Because obviously it had to start somehow before it got to the point where it's like in the circus peanut factory, you know? Yeah. You know, and <laughs> it's interesting to hear you talk about candy in, in that national perspective and in that you know, kind of large scale industrial perspective as well, because you live in Portland, Oregon. Yes. And you make candy there. And, you know, yes. people make fun of Portland a little bit. Portlandia, the show, uh, kind of pokes fun at the idea that it is its own little oasis. Right. And I would say for a good reason, because that is what it is like. Do you need candy when you have the most amazing berries and stone fruit? I mean, the sweetness of, of some of those fruits and vegetables that you have out there on parallel in this country. That's right. We're really, I mean, definitely Portland is blessed to be in the location that they are with 
you know, everything sort of right outside town or even in town in some situations. And that's how we, when I had a bakery before I had a candy company and we would use obviously fruit and things that we got from, you know, Hood River and right outside Portland, honey, hazelnuts, all these things that are grown or, you know, come from Oregon, even beer to do some baked goods with. And when I started making candy, I didn't think about any other way to do it other than almost applied sort of like the baking side of things and like developing recipes to making the candy. So when I would, you know, the first lollipop that I made was a strawberry lollipop and I started with strawberries. I didn't start with anything other than that. And, you know, it was as, as simple as roasting some fruit and turning it into a puree and then seeing if a lollipop would stand on a stick if I made the candy with that strawberry. And, you know, it didn't at first, but I figured out eventually how to do it. So I think that Portland is a really interesting place. And a lot of times I don't exactly consider myself to be a true part of the food scene there because what we do now is so... Um, we are humans making candy, but we do it like a machine. We, I mean, it's a lot of work. We're, we do pretty high production. We just were able to finish a job of over 30,000 lollipops in less than two weeks, and just a couple people worked on it. So we'd make a ton of candy. And I don't, it's not like a restaurant is, because it's just, you know, a couple, you know, six or eight, ten of us in a factory in southeast Portland making as much candy and, you know, the best decisions that we can and trying to ship it places. So... It's a little different, but I love Portland. It's a great place to live, and it's a really easy place. I have a little boy. It's an easy place to raise a kid, So, and it's supportive enough in the places that you need it, and then the places where you don't want to bother, you don't have to. Yeah, and you were telling me about your child before that, yeah. yes, he does have a sweet tooth, but he asks before he has any candy, which is an amazing thing. It's, he, he has always been a rule follower, and you know anyone who comes to my house will tell you I have multiple candy dishes sitting around. He never sneaks anything, always asks. Sometimes will say, can I have this after dinner? Like He gets that it's... <laughs> and I think it's because he's never been denied it. I've always had sweets around. I'm always making something or testing something. We've got cookies or, you know, always have the cookie jar full. There's always some sort of ice cream that we've made that's in the freezer. So it's never been something that he goes to a friend's house and sees a Pop-Tart and is like, oh, has to eat it because he, you know, doesn't have sweets around. So I think as a result of always creating really top quality sweets, now when he goes to a birthday party or has something that's less quality, he's a little bit like turns up his nose at it a little bit because he's like, oh, they had a grocery store cake you know he just can't <laughs> so I'm trying not to raise a snob but he thankfully he makes good decisions based on the fact that we sort of I show him the alternatives I guess Halloween must be so disappointing for him you know what he does he keeps five pieces of candy and he gives the rest away Oh, my God. He keeps the Kit Kats. So I should have been interviewing your son. He seems like the <laughs> idyllic son of Portland, Oregon. It's really funny. <laughs> you know, uh, you made a clear and conscious decision, obviously, to use good ingredients, um, pure cane sugar, non-GMOs. How hard was it to find that? Because I feel like prior to you, there were only a handful of candy makers in this country that were actually following that doctrine. Yeah, I think that... Um it's not hard to find, but it's a really expensive way to do it, is the best way to say it. So you can find, you know, God bless the internet, because you can find anything you need, or at least find who can find it for you, or who knows who to call, that kind of thing. So sometimes it's like tracking stuff down, like the glucose that we use comes from France, and it's not, you can't just go down to Whole Foods and pick up a bucket of it if you run out. So there's a lot of planning that has to go into it to get it shipped. We have it sent to us on huge pallets. It's super expensive to buy. 
but it's the it's you know it's the best way to do it because it's non-GMO and it's a high quality product. Um, the rest of it, I just wouldn't dream to do the candy that we make any other way. And it wasn't as if I had a business plan where I thought, what can we make that's a really premium product and charge as much as we want for it as a result? It was just this is how I will do it. I'm doing it this way. So, and it's like I said, it's not cheap. And it um, definitely, there's a lot of customer education that goes into it so that they understand why we charge what we do for the candy. And most of the places that we sell candy and we ship candy to, people do understand it. But still, there's a little bit of a learning curve for some people who are accustomed to, you know, standing in the checkout at a grocery store and, or, you know, gas station and there's a dollar box of hot tamales. Yeah. So they're not impulse buys. There, no. There's got to be a better term for what your candy is because let's talk about the time and, and commitment it takes to make a lollipop, a caramel, a marshmallow, you know, a gummy candy. Yeah. What is the longest processy? from start to finish? Well, you know, if you look at it from start to finish, from the making, if we use caramel as an example, we make a lot of caramels that have really great flavors to them. We make a coffee, orange, and smoked salt caramel. We do a couple of tea flavors. We just did a lemon myrtle and chamomile caramel, which is totally delicious. So all of those start with making the cream first. That So we basically infuse the cream with the flavor. So that's a separate recipe. And then the caramel gets made. And that requires, you know, at the end, we have, the, our candy is really, really smooth, but it doesn't have a lot of air incorporated into it, so it's also dense, which is a really weird sort of texture in your mouth, but there's so much butter and cream in it that it also just sort of melts. So the one of the ways that we achieve that airiness is at the end, it gets whisked for a really long time, and we have some people working at Quinn who have some amazing forearms <laughs> because of all of the whisking. And then, you know, the candy is, we pour it into frames and it sets up, but then it goes to our finishing department, which is cut by hand, wrapped by hand, and then boxed by hand. So it's a, it's a long process and it takes, you know, we'd start on the first day and finish up on the second day. And what's so endearing about it to me is that Every piece is a little bit different. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I know that might drive you a little crazy, but you know that that shows that somebody's actually making oh, yeah. it and takes the care, you know, and and it it just gives it a different level of character. Well, thank you. I I'm going to try to look at it that way from now on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope everyone is as charmed by your candy as I am. We're going to take a quick break and I'm going to start eating some dreams come chew Do in it. the meantime. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Winsun, a Taiwanese-American restaurant located in East Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Founded by Josh Koo and Chef Trig Brown, Winsun pays tribute to the myriad of flavors and influences of Taiwanese cuisine. They're serving Taiwanese food in their own local context, putting classic dishes like Luru Fan next to new ones that showcase authentic ingredients, like noodles with shaved mullet roe, uitsa, and fried chilies. The Village Voice calls the fried eggplant Winsun's sleeper hit, a Donnybrook of flavors tied together by rich, tangy yogurt. Other highlights of the menu are the big chicken bun, their take on a fried chicken sandwich, or the nutritious sandwich with sugar-cured Virginia ham, pickled pineapples, and jalapenos. 
Is your mouth watering yet? You can feel good about what you're eating. All the meats on Winsun's menu are sourced from Heritage Foods USA. Winsun's beer list offers Taiwan beer, of course, but also a selection of local brews. Wine is available by the glass and bottle. On the cocktail side, don't miss the Chinya Colada, which mixes coconut cream, rum, cilantro, and basil. For dessert, they keep it simple with the ice cream sandwich, a take on the classic Taiwanese pairing of donuts and sweetened condensed milk. You'll want to order at least one for the table. To see the full menu and to learn more, visit winsunbrooklyn.com. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. I thought I'd be able to get through this before we got back on air. You've been listening to Food Scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. A couple more twos. Here with Jamie Curl of Queen Candy. <laughs> I'm just going to enjoy this. So I mean, these when I'm when I'm totally having the best time with right now are the dreams can chew. Oh, thank you. And yes, you know they're your riff on a Starburst. But yeah. What have you done to make these your own to make them make me <laughs> enjoy this and constantly? Chew? I can't stop. So it shows I yours. I think it's the the texture of the candy that gets most people because at first. It's a little bit firm, but then you put it in your mouth and the warmth of your mouth starts to sort of melt it. There's a little butter in the candy, so it gives it that sort of unctuous, like nice and like stretchy, but not stick to your teeth feeling. And then there's only five ingredients in that candy. And in a Starburst, there's, depending upon the flavor, 16 to 20 ingredients in it. And, you know, we, I think to say that it is a Starburst isn't, doesn't give the dreams come true the credit that it deserves because it's not that isn't what it is. Mm -hmm. It's not saltwater taffy. It's not any, it's not laffy taffy. It's not a a high chew. It's none of that. It's, it's its own thing that is, and it's, I mean, mostly the butter and the care that we take to make it because it's another candy that at the end of making it, instead of pulling it, how you would pull saltwater taffy, we whisk it and it incorporates just enough air to give it that lightness, but not to incorporate too much air to give it where it starts to sort of change its color. I and, guess. and what that last one was, yeah. was lemon. And it's oh. inherently lemon. It's innately lemon. It's so lemon that you can't think about anything other than lemons when you're chewing it. Yep. Whereas I feel like with a lot of other kind of like large scale candy, you know it as almost the color sometimes. Oh, I like the yellow one. Yeah. I like the green one. I like... <laughs> But that's can, how I eat gummy bears. Yeah. <laughs> I like the green ones and the clear ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know exactly what flavor you're having with yeah. each piece of candy that you make. Well, thank you. That um, the individual candy. I know I talk a lot about sort of like the broad look at it, but that's what it ends up coming down to is the individual piece of candy. And to make sure some people will only ever have that one piece. There's a lot, you know, some people like someone gets a, a bag of candy from somewhere and they hand you a piece or set a piece on your desk or whatever it is. So it's important to me that that one piece, no matter what piece it is, is as great as it possibly can be. Because for a lot of people, that'll be the only time that they eat Quinn. So I, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Cause it's my job, but it is 
what my whole heart is this. This is what I could, you know, tear up thinking about it. But it's, it, it drives me. It um, gives me all the, like, pleasure that I need in life, essentially, aside from the people that I love. But it is, it is this force that I can't even at times control. And all it is is candy, which to me I think is, like, magic. Well, yeah, I mean, you obviously know it's that much more. It's, it's the transparency of who you are and how you make it. Because you're willing, in this book that you just wrote, Candy is Magic, yeah. to give away your secrets and share the joy of candy. Yeah, it's all else. really real. Those Every recipe in that book started with uh, the, the recipes, the like literal binder of recipes that we have at Quinn. It's exactly what we do. And let, let's get over the fear of sugar, and I don't mean intake, sure. but actually working with sugar. Sure. And I think that's the holdup for a lot of people about making candy at home. Yes. But really... To craft core flavors. And there aren't that many core flavors in this book. You right. just build off them and iterate. You need sugar, crystal blockers, fat, and salt. That's right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, I mean, and you know, for some of it, you don't even need the salt. If you have, like, a, like if you want to make a fruit-based anything, start there, and then you can kind of figure out what you want to add to it, or if you want to accent the flavor of strawberry with something else, however you want to do it. But it is really just... Uh, sort of a the book is like this simple pretty simple roadmap to some sort of learning blocks that you tackle and then you can go from there to make all of these other things that you want to make and you don't need much equipment i mean we we were joking around about a you hacking a panning machine together with what two mixing bowls to make Yeah, to make a panning machine. Exactly. And, you know, in the book, I say, if you have a candy thermometer, great, because you can, it's great for hard candy, for gummy candy. But the rest of it, you can, you can use a spouted measuring cup instead of a candy funnel. You can use a tray with, packed with cornstarch that you bake to get some of the moisture out instead of sort of like building a candy frame. You don't need lollipop molds if you have a nonstick mat. You just place the lollipop stick down on the mat, pour the candy over it to the size you want it to be, and then you've got it. So it's, it's, and I talk about all of that in there. And that's the thing, when I started the book, I wanted to make sure that people understood that the way that I started doing this, I didn't plop myself down in the middle of a candy factory with all the machines at my disposal. Everything in that book and everything that Quinn is based on is just me working to figure out how to do it at home, trips to Home Depot, whatever it is. But it's all started really pretty simply. And it, it, it's a crazy thing to say, but really, truly, anyone, you can, any person can do it. You can do it. You can make a gumdrop. It's, it's there, step by step. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not your French, what, pâté de fruit no. gumdrop. No. You know, it's not these uh, kind of like historic or complex terms. It's, it's accessible. Yeah, it's candy. It's definitely candy. But what is only accessible to a certain sect, uh, the, the 21 and over, are <laughs> the <laughs> Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, yeah. and Rosé candy. And what, what I love about, you know, Portland, Oregon, and that scene is... 40 minutes away is Willamette Valley. That's right. Uh, 40 minutes away is the Gorge. 40, it's, you have so much around you, and I love that you're incorporating not only those, you know, berries and fruit. Yes. But also a wine region. Yes. Yeah, and that came about, we formed a really great relationship with Union Wine Company, and they make all kinds of wine, and I know that you have seen it because it comes in a can. They do rosé in a can. They do a sparkling wine in a can. Pinot Noir, and kind of built a relationship with them and then started working on making hard candy with the wine. We did rosé gummies. We partnered with them for Feast in Portland and made Pinot Noir cotton candy. We've done a Riesling caramel corn with them. So it just, 
that wine is really drinkable and super fruity tasting. So it's really fun to sort of figure out how to get that flavor to kind of be in the candy. Because, you know, there's the, especially for a lollipop, it's cooked so much that the alcohol leaves. And then you have to figure out how to bring that boozy flavor back to the candy so that when you eat it, you do actually, you do actually taste booze. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was pretty fun to figure all of those things out. Where in your day do you enjoy that kind of candy? I'm thinking about, you know, after dinner mints or after dinner drinks at that. <laughs> is, is candy an all day thing or do you reserve the Pinot Noir gummies for late at night? I think it depends upon what's happening and where I am again. I think that the, those types of candies are really popular with people who are having parties uh, baby showers, bridal showers, that type of stuff. They're good. They're great for weddings. Lots of you know wedding guests get these sort of more celebration. That's how I would kind of consider it. Is it like a more celebratory candy? <laughs> and I, I would say that the last time I had a Pinot Noir lollipop, I was driving. That is, I <laughs> I eat a lot of lollipops while in the car. Yeah, and you yeah. get pulled over, and they're like, "No, I swear, <laughs> I was just eating candy." Oh, yeah, by that time, I promise, all the alcohol's cooked yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, I, I love this idea of parties and gifts because you also give a couple great kind of projects for people. Oh, yeah. Candy garlands, uh, gift of sprinkles. Yes. Um, and the tiny pinata. The tiny pinata is really super fun. You can make a pinata with stuff that you find around your house. You can use a paper cone and you cover it with tissue paper, stuff it with candy, and it's so much fun to give to people. And I think that that's what I I love about candy and little sort of crafty projects like that is that it doesn't take a huge investment on my part to make something like a tiny pinata or to make some candy or to make a batch of cookies or whatever it is. But the act of giving that to someone is so huge and people appreciate handmade delicious treats and tiny crafts and things like that so much that that is the reason to do it, in my opinion, because it just it brings so much joy to other people. And it took me like 30 minutes. I got some glue out, and I did this thing for you. So it, I, I love love stuff like that. So then I think I may have misspoke at the beginning of the show and said, you know, it's not for it's not just for kids anymore, yeah. which, which makes candy seem like almost too adult. Um, but there's still that ability to enjoy it like a child. Oh, yeah. I mean, I am like, you know one step above a 14 year old girl all the time, basically. Cause I really, I, I get into that stuff. I love candy and I love, I mean, I get super, I get real excited about it. And I think that, um, to say that it's like, just can't, like, I think that everybody needs that, especially right now, my God, to that time or that ability to kind of relax a little bit and have fun be like goofy whatever it is you want to be and I think candy helps with that because it's just candy but at the same time I think that it the, that's what we get a lot of times people say this is candy for adults and I think well right it's not hot tamales and it's not a roll of you know mentos or whatever it is I don't know what people give kids these days candy wise or if, I don't know the last time I saw a kid eating regular candy especially in Portland <laughs> but I I think yeah I'm it's it's an the kid thing is is interesting but it I get it because it's candy and that's those two things have always been related but this is a little different I I, I love that you said you know, everyone needs just a little bit of time. And you, you heard how long it took me to get through one piece of dreams come <laughs> yeah. true. But during that time, you're really doing nothing but focusing on enjoyment. 
of said candy and all the hard work that you put in. And it, it's true. It's so nice to take that little respite from everything else going on and have a lollipop, enjoy yeah. a marshmallow, some gummy bears, and inherently know who made them, where they came from, and, and you know the, the quality of ingredients and authenticity behind that product. Well, thank you. I mean, I couldn't say that better, but that's, you know, exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> and there you go. And if you're in Portland, Oregon, you have to stop in Queen Candy. Uh, what area is it in? We're located in the West End is our is our store. It's right between Powell's and the Ace Hotel. So if you're coming to Portland, you'll definitely go to one of those two places. You'll either stay at the Ace or visit Powell's. And it's sort of in a little shopping alley right between those two yeah, it's, it's the most enchanting little alleyway of a store, and you're going to find yourself lost in there and fall in love with quid candy like I have myself. Thank you again. Thank you for writing Candy is Magic. Oh, Everyone thank you. should go out and get that at any bookstore. Oh, yeah, store. it comes out next Tuesday. <laughs> next Tuesday. Get ready to not only eat a lot of candy, but make a lot of candy as well. Thank you again, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. A uh, quick announcement. On the Rise, The Future of Bread at Johnson & Wales University. The first international symposium on bread is taking place in Charlotte, North Carolina on Monday and Tuesday, May 22nd and 23rd of this year. This forum will unite influential scholars, authors, agriculturists, historians, media millers, and bakers across the U.S. and Europe. Check it out. It's on Eventbrite. I am very much hoping to be there and eat as much bread as possible. And I'll bring candy for the plane ride. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to Wind Sun for sponsoring. Music by Cookies and David Tattashore Engineering. Cheers. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.